Amen. God is good, isn't he? It's good to be together, isn't it? Good to be in his church today. And thank God for the freedom that we still have, that we can gather like this. It is a gift. It is a tremendous gift. And we're just so thankful for him, aren't we? For what he's done for us. God is good. Always good. It's hard to say sometimes, isn't it? Go ahead and try to say it during your hard time. But God is good, isn't he? Let's just say it out loud again. God is always good. Amen. Well, I felt compelled. I think it's amazing that the Lord, uh, the Lord writes the sermons for you. I mean, you're a person. You're an individual. God doesn't take your individuality away from you. And uh, it's partly what I'll be talking about um, as I look into uh, his word for the next week and, the, and this, this week today and next week how there's a joining together of us here on the earth and, and heaven. Uh, but God is, uh, is working with heaven, I mean, working from heaven in the earth through us, amen, doesn't he? And there's very few miracles, actually. If you go through your word and you really read, even the miracles where it looks like no one was involved, you'll find that the people prayed, the people fasted. Some form of involvement of, on earth, that's just how God works. God in heaven, and he chose people on the earth. Remember, 11 disciples carried on um, his message after Jesus was crucified. And so he raised up human beings, and that's why we have our word today. That's why we're believers, because it was passed on and passed on and passed on. So the Lord does what he does supernaturally in heaven, but through the connection of us on the earth. And it might be just as simple as praying, and it might be as much as actually standing and fighting like David, like we're talking about. And so the Lord had uh, supernaturally led us. I think it's amazing how it's, it's in the news and we're seeing commercials. People are using the David and Goliath analogy. And I'm not even really talking about what they're talking about, but that we, I felt the Lord kind of uh, brought us to David today on purpose. We talked about it last week, and we're going to talk about it again today. I think that's very interesting. Who thinks it's interesting that God wanted us to talk about David and Goliath now? And it's funny, once you see the world even saying things that God's saying, they don't even know why, right? They might not know all the significance of it. They just see, you know, something, see a, a, a situation that kind of looks like a biblical story, but there's something supernatural going on, isn't there? Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to get into part two here. I want you to look at this. First Samuel, and we're going to look at chapter 17. But firstly, let me say this. Last week, we started to look uh, into David and Goliath. I want to go a little bit deeper. I'm going to talk probably about David for the next season. Um, when I say probably, because the, the Lord may lead me in a different direction. But I'm going to talk specifically again today about David and Goliath. It's a very significant moment in, it, in, uh, in superhero stories. It might be David's origin story, right? Who knows that term? It's his origin story, right? It's the moment where David becomes the David that we know. Uh, he was David out in the field. No one knew him, right? He was a nobody, but he's about to become famous uh, and about to show who he is and how he trusts God. Uh, so we're going to look a little bit deeper into this, and I want you just to uh, take a few points with you as we move into this sermon. 
is this, and I said this last week, I want to say it again. David and Goliath is a story of faith versus doubt. I want you to say that out loud. It's a story of faith versus doubt. That's really, if you boil it down, that's how simple it is. And, you know, if you look at the entire word, if you look at everything in the word, uh, it really is that simple. Everything from Genesis to Revelation, do you trust God or do you trust some other source or yourself, right? Literally, you go all the way to Adam and Eve. They just didn't trust what God said. They trusted the serpent and they trusted their instincts more than God. Very dangerous, isn't it? Uh, so really, it's a story of faith and doubt. Um, and, and what happened is, is that uh, doubt had entered the heart of man all the way back in the garden, and it had been a common thread all the way through time, really. And it's still an issue today, isn't it? Who doubts God from time to time? Who's willing to admit it that we doubt him from time to time? But uh, that's why I always pray, uh, and I prayed it today uh, during uh, worship, that, Lord, I believe but I want to believe you more. Help me in my unbelief, right? I believe, but I'm struggling in my belief. I want to believe more, so help me in my unbelief. Amen. Um, so the second thing I want us to get is uh, that doubt is because we are either thinking or feeling, we're perceiving, we're seeing. Uh, so we are creating a truth that is not real, but it becomes truth for us, amen, doesn't it? Right, so if you use your perceptions to try to figure out what is going on and how to react in a situation, you're going to come up with your own opinions and your own ways, right? Or you don't even realize, you might think it's your opinion, but it's actually been formulated by your schooling, it's been formulated by Netflix, it's been formulated by YouTube, it's been formulated by your friends, your circle that you're around, and then we have this concept of, what is right, what is wrong, what we should do in a situation, right? How many of your friends, if you were to call your best friend and complain about somebody who did something to you, they're going to say, well, don't let them do that. you got to stand up for yourself, right? So they're going to come up with human theology, right? Who's, whose best friend's going to do that? How many best friends are going to say, well, just forgive them, just love them? I mean, and, and Christ, that's what we should be doing, but it's hard to do, isn't it? And our human nature comes out. And our human nature is like human opinions. We all have them and they all stink, right? So uh, David, he wasn't just facing a giant man. He was actually facing a giant problem. I want you to say that out loud. David wasn't just facing a giant man. He was actually facing a giant problem, right? The problem had entered the heart of man a long time ago. And it was still there that day. So when David stood up, he was really standing up to doubt. That's really what it was. He had to put his faith in God and stood up to doubt. See, the Bible says we don't war against flesh and blood. It's not really Goliath. Goliath, and I mean, if you really want to do your Bible study, and we're not going to go there today, although I'm going to touch on it, uh, he really is the epitome of of what that war is. We don't war against flesh and blood because <laughs> you could do your own study, but uh, Goliath probably wasn't even human, and you guys can look into that yourselves. But we're going to look a little bit at that. So uh, the people of Israel had never truly dealt with this issue. 
It had been with them all along, and they never dealt with it. And if you don't deal with it, it comes back, right? And so there was this place that God had promised his people. God had promised a place that he'll meet with them, and he had promised them a place where they could worship him freely. He said, I want to be your king. You'll be my people. I'll give you everything you need. I'll provide for you. Sounds just like the garden. Um, But don't be surprised that the exact place where God wants to meet with you and bless you and give you freedom is the very same place that the enemy will try to set up his lower kingdom, right? His desire is to occupy the space that God has designated for himself, right? That happened in the garden. Satan was right there. I mean, the Lord said it was perfect. If the Lord says it's very good, who believes him? Right? He made the garden, said it was good, set Adam and Eve in there, it's very good. And then he just said, now occupy. Now just, you know, procreate and be with and take tend my garden. And the enemy was right there in the midst of that place. Now, instead of getting mad at God and pointing our finger and saying, you know, why is the devil allowed to do this and why is he allowed to do that? Instead, let's just learn from the word and see that he's going to be there. Instead of trying to figure it out. Why? Let's just establish the fact we don't need to worry about that the one world government is quickly trying to control this world. I mean, you can be aware of it, but instead, I'm just, instead of wondering about that and spending all our time focused on that, I'm going to say, well, it's a reality. I know that. My word says it. What is my place? What is my part? And my part is to stand for God, is to trust God, to trust his word. No matter what they tell me is good for me, what is the right thing, etc. Right? No matter how much they say you're a uh, you are a bigot or you are you're just stuck in an old archaic book, you need to learn to trust His word. I mean, I've been saying it like a broken record. I say it to myself, but like never before, because this Bible is just going to get older and older. You get that. We've hit a time in history, right? Our, the older ones here can say when you were in school and you mentioned God. You didn't have to wonder which God we were talking about. It was kind of common sense which God we meant. Now if I say God, it's like, well, I'm God. You know, which God? Let's pick one out of the billions and trillions. I mean, it's unlimited now because it's anything you want, anything you desire, and now we're God. That's clear because we're making up our own rules as we go along, so we must be God. So we come here in 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. The Bible says that there was this group of people there that were occupying uh, the land that God had promised them. He had promised that this is your land. He promised uh, all the way back in Abraham and all the way in, in, in where Joshua actually goes into the land. And he says, this is your land. And yet we find here in 1 Samuel 17, verse 1, it says the Philistines, everybody say the Philistines. Do you know that's where we get the word Palestinians from? I started doing some study, and I was like, wow, still to this day. This is like 4,000 years ago, and still to this day, we're still dealing with the Philistines. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle against Israel. And verse 4 says, then Goliath, a Philistine, Now, it says here in the NLT, because the NLT is just trying to make it easy to understand, which I love. I love the NLT. This is my daily read. When I go into my studying, uh, I'll go and I'll open up the Hebrew, the Greek, to try to understand why they put the English words here. 
And this word champion is actually this uh, Hebrew word gibor, which basically could be translated as a giant. Uh, and it actually is not just a giant, but really a demonic giant, if you really do your study. So Goliath is a Philistine, but he's also a demonic giant, as we know. He wasn't just tall, and like I said last week, people try to say he was only six feet tall. Well, that would be odd, because the Bible says that Saul was head and shoulders above the rest. All right, head and shoulders. That's pretty easy to figure out. It's about a foot, right? So if the Israelites felt like the six-foot-tall man was a giant, and, and wait, ready? And Saul was head and shoulders above the rest. That means the Israelites were about four feet tall. I mean, to basically my math. And they're only looking at a guy that's a foot taller than Saul. Anyway, it's funny when people try to debunk things, and you just have to use some common sense and some logic and figure out that it's wrong. So anyway, he's a giant, and uh, the NLT translates it what I think is correct, much closer to correct, somewhere around 9 to 10 feet tall, possibly even up to 13 feet, depending on, your, on the math, because we're looking at 4,000-year-old text here. But if he was this fear, fearsome and this big, he must have been big enough to make them afraid. Let's just settle on 8 feet, all right? He was a big guy, but more than that, he was a demonic guy. Uh, and, and that's scary. Who's ever felt uh, a demonic presence in your life at times, right? We've all been there. I'm not saying that we're going we're gonna, to you know, go on and on about it. We're not going to give them credit. But then we pray and we ask the Lord and they go immediately, right? Who's had a dream about it? And the moment you can get the word Jesus out, they leave. Has anybody had that? We've all, all Christians seem to have that dream. And they try to keep you from saying it, right? Because the power of that name. Who's ever, like, you can't say it. But as soon as you get the word out, who's had that dream? Can I just get a show of hands? A lot of us, right? That's so weird, right? They were all separate, all disconnected, and yet we're connected, we're one. And that shows you the power of Christ. So we're not afraid, but the, we need to be, uh, come to an understanding that without Christ, and in the flesh, and in your humanity, uh, anything demonic, anything, we talk about the devil, it is scary to our flesh. But in Jesus' name, they have to flee. They bow their knees to him. Amen. And so that has to be said as we move on here. But I want to say this. I don't want you to say this out loud with me. Goliath didn't appear out of nowhere. He didn't appear out of nowhere. This guy came from somewhere, and unfortunately, it was a result of the decisions made by David's ancestors. Things had been put into, into motion. Things started rolling a long time ago. The Bible says, really, if you look, that the Philistines, they appeared in the book of Genesis, and just very, very quick church uh, Bible history. Who's ready just for a tiny little bit of Bible history? Everybody ready? All right, so the Philistines, they're first mentioned in Genesis when uh, you have Abraham, he's called out by God, right? God comes and he says, Abraham, I want you to leave, right? He's the father of many nations. You know that Abraham's your father? They said, oh, Abraham's our father. Remember the Jews were trying to say it, and he's like, no, no. He's not your father. The devil's your father. Remember to the Pharisees and Sadducees. <laughs> but if you believe in Christ, right, it, it goes all the way back to Abraham, right? So he's the father of many nations. We, Christ came from him, and, and we also came from him. So we can see this picture here. God calls him out. He separates him from the world right off the bat. That's just like us. We're separated from this world. 
and he's leading him somewhere. Who's being led somewhere by God? Who feels like you're being led to the promise, right? To himself, ultimately to him in heaven with him. Amen. So he leads Abraham out. He calls him to the land of Canaan. So the place that God called him to, uh, and he promised, he said, this is your land and to your descendants. Uh, there was already people living there. And all the people that were living there, they practiced demon worship. All right, so that's very key. There were uh, people groups there that had settled in the land that God said is your land, and they were demon-worshiping people. And one of the groups living there are the Philistines. Now, after Abraham died, Isaac was harassed by these Philistines. They came in, they said, this is our land, and they filled in his wells. And the Lord, he prays, and the Lord helps him through that situation. But you can see this harassment from the devil, from demonic forces, right, from those that serve God and those serve the devil. There's always been a clash, right? Garden of Eden, it continues through, all right? So um, hundreds of years go by, and Abraham's descendants become millions, right? We know the history. And they don't have a homeland. Uh, so God delivers them from Egypt, right? He takes them through uh, Egypt, we just mentioned that moments ago with Moses, and he takes them through the journey in the wilderness, right? Who's, who's following me on all our church history, right? Our biblical history. Am I going too fast? Okay, am I not going fast enough? Um, and he leads them supernaturally back to the land of Canaan, right? So God leads them. So it takes hundreds of years. Um, I mean, it's a long time, generations. I mean, literally, Abraham's one man, and now it's millions of people. So there was some time here, and, uh, and God is leading them back because God's a promise-keeping God right back to the exact place that he had brought Abraham, and he said, okay, now Moses, I want you to lead these people in, and I want you to go take this land. Who remembers our history? All right, so they're here now at the border, and basically what happens is, and we're going to pull up the text here, is they doubted. Everybody say, they doubted. All right, so God's about to fulfill some promises, all right, right back to the Garden of Eden now. God said, be fruitful, multiply anything you want, don't touch that tree. They doubted God, brought in a mess. Now he brings them to the border of Canaan. This is your land. I promise it to you. I'm going to bring you in, and uh, this is going to be your land now. And the Bible says that they doubted. And here's the text. We're going to pull this up. It says... And Numbers, we're going to look at the book of Numbers. Everybody okay so far? Anybody excited? Everybody getting excited about his word? There's so much life in his word. We can learn so much from this. There's so much truth. It's all truth, but there's so much truth against the lies of the moment we're in and the time we're in. We have to know this, that it's so easy to doubt God because it's so easy to use our perceptions and to look and see and make our own decisions. It's very easy to do that. It's much harder to close your eyes and trust God, isn't it? It's much harder, but it is the only way. I want you to say it out loud. It is the only way. And if you think that, well, uh, through the blood of Christ and through the Holy Spirit, he's going to make it easier on me. He's going to make it easier to trust him. Uh, don't be so sure. It's not that he's not, it's that your flesh is so strong. Your flesh is fighting so hard against him. And we can overcome it, amen, right? Because there's nothing that, right, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's nothing. There is nothing. There's no temptation. There's nothing uh, that he has not given us the power 
to overcome. So if we trust him, it doesn't matter how hard it looks, how big it looks, how evil it looks, how dark it looks, how impossible it looks, God is still God. And so the Bible says here in Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, the Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan. Verse 2, and then it says, this is what happened in verse 27. So the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, send out men, and he sends them out. So who directed this? God did, all right? Who went in? Men did. I want you to get this again. Who directed the mission? God did. God said, go in. I want you to go take a look at this land I'm giving you. Men went in. Verse 27, this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed, everybody say, it's indeed what God said. So we did what you said, Moses. We believe that you're led by God. Well, we thought you were, because it's about to change. It is what you told us it would be, at least what we think God told you that told us it would be. Oh, doesn't that sound familiar? I used to believe my pastor, and I used to believe the word, but then this situation happened, and now I don't believe God anymore. Who's heard that sad story too many times? Because the situation dictated their beliefs instead of God. And it's hard to do. I'm, it's, I say as a, as a believer, I say it to myself, easy to say, hard to do. It's hard to, to walk it out, live it out, but we must. It's very easy just to take our perceptions and like make up a scenario and make up a world. And that's what this metaverse is. I mean, can you believe it? We're actually coming to this place. You can escape reality. The first time in history that I can actually go into a full, in my mind, world, I'm just going to escape reality. They're already developing bodysuits and gloves. I mean, you're going to be in this immersed world. I'm not, this is real. This is like, the rich already have it. You're just literally going to plug into computers and go live in another world. That sounds a lot like what God promised me, that if we can endure through some time, and be his light and be his witness that he's going to do for us, isn't he? He's going to bring us into another world. I want to create a new heaven and a new earth, and Satan's trying to trap people. Let's just escape reality because that's easier, and I'll just make the world up as I please. That's not how it works, is it? And I caution you to be very cautious as this new thing, these new technologies are going to become normal more and more. And so the Bible says that they entered the land to explore it. It's indeed a beautiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. And here is the kind of fruit it produces. So they even brought back testimony. Here's some testimony that it is exactly what you told us it would be. Verse 28, but the most dangerous word that we can say when we're praying a prayer or believing God. But, right? Very dangerous little word here. But, even though it's exactly... I mean, all these years and all these promises, and do you guys realize what has happened to get them here? We just don't have time for all the history, but they just went through. Egypt was a tremendous victory. I mean, they saw the Red Sea part. Well, they did as little children, remember, because now then they had to go into this wilderness place and God provides for them supernaturally the food, the water, their clothes don't wear out. And they've already seen where doubt goes, right? Doubt killed, I'm sorry, we're, we're not there yet. Doubt's about to kill their parents. 
about to kill these people. I'm ahead of myself here. Uh, so they go in and they say, uh, okay, it's exactly what God said, but even though God's done all these wonderful things for us, he's led us through all this, he led us through the Red Sea, uh, but now there's something that seems like it's bigger than I can put my head around. God's delivered me from this, and he delivered me from that, and he delivered me from this, and he delivered me from that, but I just don't think God can do this. We may not say that in those words, but who has lived that out, right? He's paid this bill, and he's paid that bill, and he healed me this time, and he saved that person, but suddenly God can't do it. We don't say, God, you can't do it, but we start worrying and fearing, and I don't know how. That's what we're saying without saying it. You don't, you don't need to use words. You know that God's pretty clever. God's pretty smart. God knows exactly what we're saying without saying it, right? Like a woman, doesn't need to say anything. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Casey? <laughs> they don't need to say anything. They think we're dumb, too, that we don't understand. Right, John? It says, but the people living there are powerful. Well, what does that matter? Who cares that they're powerful? What about God? It says their towns are large and fortified. So this is a big thing, right? We're talking about big. This is 400 years before David, though. So this is an issue that's been happening. When they, this giant Goliath didn't just appear out of nowhere. This is an issue that needed to be conquered all the way back then. And it says, and their towns are large and they're fortified. And we saw giants there and the descendants of Anak. Verse 31. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. What does that even mean? They're stronger than we are. Do you think your strength has anything to do with the fight against the devil? You think your strength really is what's going to stand against the enemy. We just went through a six-week, you know, sermon on this. And now that's, you know, this is eight weeks ago now. Today we even started that. The Lord's making it very clear. That is irrelevant. Say, my strength is irrelevant. Verse 32, so they spread this bad report, so doubt began to creep in. Doubt was the plague. Doubt was the real giant. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there. Verse 33, the descendants of Anak, and next to them we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Again, it's interesting. You know, I understand it is a metaphor, but if he was only six feet tall, then they were, must have been like one foot tall or one inch tall <laughs> because they felt like grasshoppers next to these giants. So if Goliath was only six feet tall, then they were very, very short Jews back then. So Numbers chapter 14 uh, says this. Two of the men who had explored the land, verse 6, uh, Joshua and Caleb, they said, don't rebel against the Lord. So there was the vo voice of the Lord. There's the vo here's the voice of reason. They said, do not rebel against the Lord. So by doubting, they're saying that by doubting God is rebelling against God. Do you understand that? 
how powerful it is. When we doubt God, it's actually rebellion. I know it doesn't, you're like, we like, we like to categorize sins, you know, like we all think of levels of sins. We've got like murder right at the top. You know, rape's probably right there below it. But God doesn't look at it like that. God looks at sin as sin. We, we put, uh, you know, levels of intensity. He looks at sin as sin, and he looks at trusting him as trusting him. And the Bible says that they said, don't rebel. If you doubt, he says, don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection. Do you understand this? The enemy is no match for Jesus. He might be a match for you, but I don't rely on my own strength, right? He's, believe me, I know he's a match for me because I've fallen to his traps before. We've all learned I'm no match against the enemy. Hopefully we've learned that lesson by now. But when we trust Christ, suddenly his plans, his purposes, they're foolish. They don't even work anymore. Look, they actually look dumb, some of the things they used to trap us in, right? Remember the trap where it used to make you think that going out on Saturday night and quote-unquote partying? How is that? Like, let me describe a party to you, okay? Heaven's version of a party is fellowship and spending time together with God and each other. The world's version of a party is throwing up with your face in a toilet all day the next day and your headaches. And we call that partying. What'd you do last night? I don't remember. I just know it was fun. My memory, maybe your memory is a lie. Maybe Satan told you it's fun, but it really wasn't. Wow. You realize the enemy is a match against your flesh, but he is no match against Christ. And that's what the people didn't get, and Caleb and, and uh, Joshua got that yeah, they may be big, and this might be impossible, and I don't know how, but they don't have protection, and I trust the Lord. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Amen. So, finally, what happens is, we know the history. I was getting ahead of myself a few minutes ago. They doubt. So, another generation dies, right? They lose it. They lose the right to go in. Now it's their children. So, but now their children, they saw their parents doubt, and they also had seen Egypt. And so what happens is God tells them, he tells them this in Deuteronomy 9. Deuteronomy 9, verse 1, Listen, O Israel, today, you are about to cross the Jordan River to take over the land belonging to nations much greater and more powerful than you. Wow. You hear this? I want you to hear that again. God said, you are. I want you to hear that. Did God have any doubt in his voice? Was there any doubt in the word that God said to them? And what he told them is, isn't it funny that God's like, oh, by the way, it is much bigger than you. By the way, it is impossible. But that's why you're going to trust me. Amen. It's funny that when God's encouraging them, he's reminding them of how impossible it is. It's much greater and more powerful than you. They live in cities with walls that reach the sky. As if, as if they didn't know that, God felt the need to remind them of how big the problem is in front of them. 
Imagine you're praying to the Lord, and you're like, Lord, help me in this issue. And God says, okay, I just want you to realize how big this issue is. <laughs> oh, that's funny, God. I didn't realize. That's why I was praying to you. But he does it for a purpose, because he says, verse 2, the people are strong, and they're and tall, and they're descendants of the famous Anakite giants. And you heard the saying, oh, so God's going to keep going here. God even says, oh, remember, you've, you've even heard, who can stand up to the Anakites? I want you to say that out loud. Who can stand up? There was even a saying that said no one could stand against an Anakite giant. But in verse 3, I love, wow, here we got another but. Everybody say there's another but. This one's important because now when God says but, when I say but, danger, ding, 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 that's the devil, doubt. When God says but, get excited. God will even let you see. He'll even remind you, wow, of how impossible it is. And then say but. But recognize today that the Lord your God is the one who will cross over ahead of you like a devouring fire to destroy them. He will subdue them. So you will quickly, everybody say quickly. That's important. This is important. The word of the Lord was quickly. You will quickly conquer them and drive them out, just as the Lord had, has promised. So finally, uh, he leads them through Joshua to go into the land of Canaan and take possession. And he warns them before they go into the land. And this is what he says. So God encouraged them, and then he says this. They're just about to go in. Now he says this in Deuteronomy 7, verse 16. You must destroy... Everybody, I want you to say this out loud. You must destroy, because I want you to hear what God told them. You must destroy all the nations the Lord your God hands over to you. Show them no mercy and do not worship their gods or they will trap you. Man, I could spend weeks here because... Uh, the Bible says in Judges chapter 1, verse 28, all right, so what did God say? God said, destroy it all. If you don't destroy everything, if you don't, you have to be completely removed from the world. You try to dabble with the world and with God. You try to mix God's word with a little bit of the psychics. You try to mix, even today, God's word with a little too much YouTube. Sometimes, sometimes the Google and the internet and YouTube is, is actually dangerous. Sometimes we have to go back to his word. That's fine. You want to listen to even a preacher. Go back to his word and read the word for yourself because they might be skewed or have an opinion or lying. Because the Bible says in Judges 1 verse 28, when Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor but never drove them out completely. Did you hear that? What did God tell them to do? He said, completely destroy. Show them no mercy, because if you do, it will be a trap to you. Well, Bible history, 
they fall into the trap. So instead of completely getting rid of those who practice demon worship, they thought they could control them. You realize how key this is? Sometimes instead of getting rid of things that are harmful, we think we can control it. Sometimes people don't even realize they're keeping around, the thing that they're keeping around that they think they can control is actually a demon, and you cannot control it. It may hide for a while, but that demon will rise its head and, try to, and will control you at one point if we don't do what God said and cut it off completely. So this is what God says to them. Judges chapter 2. Are we okay going through the word like this? It's just all word today. A lot of word. And I'm building something here, and we'll build on again more on, on next week. So don't be afraid that I didn't even get to Goliath in the story yet. We're going to talk about that next week again. Keep building. But Judges chapter 2, this is what happens. Verse 1, the angel of the Lord, he says to the Israelites, all right? He says, I brought you out of Egypt into this land, and I swore to give your ancestors. So I did it. It was me. And I said I would never break my covenant with you. So God's reminding them, I brought you here, and I swore that I, he says, I would never break my covenant. Jesus doesn't break his covenant. We break our covenant. I want you to get that. It's very clear. He never fails us. God did not fail them. But verse 2 says, for your part. Everybody say, but my part. God didn't break his covenant. He did what he said he would do. I will bring you into this land. Your part, not to make any covenants with the people living in this land. I'll bring you out of the world. Your part, stay out of the world. I'll save you. You can't purchase that. You can't do that. I, you can't earn grace. You can't get my salvation. That's all on me. I'm God. What you need to do is now trust me and do what I've said. I gave you my word for a reason. If salvation was without my word, why would I pen down a book so big it takes a year to read? If it didn't matter and all salvation was was just something he does for us and we don't have anything required, why would we even read about it? You think it takes that big of a book just to tell someone, listen, you have sin in your life, you need to come to Christ and repent. We don't usually bring the Bible when we do that, right? The person says, I want that. Who's came to salvation that simple? Did you have to hear the Bible from Genesis to Revelation before you got saved? So why do we have the Bible? To study and learn as believers. That's the point. And now to grow and become like Christ so that then I can go and do the same thing for someone else. Amen. And so what happened is, is God had done his part and the important thing is that we do our part. When God is leading us and, and, and doing something supernatural in our lives, he gives us a miracle. I mean, we can go all the way. You could go, man, I could really get into this. But remember, God heals the lepers. Is it one or two comes back? You know, he heals ten. One comes back. The Lord says, where's the rest? You know, we get what we need from God, and then we just go run off again. We do what we want. And it's very dangerous. I'm not condemning anyone. I'm saying that, listen, God wants to save us. He wants to help us, wants to free us. And there's a Goliath that needs to be dealt with. He needs to do it his way. It needs to be finished once and for all. Amen. But we can't just do it in our own strength. We can't do it our way. There's a way to do it. And so he said, you made covenants. You, you accepted my salvation, but there's still some world. There's still some heart. You still have some things tied to this world and tied to your lineage, and you still want a name for yourself, or whatever it is, whatever the thing is the devil kind of still has in you, even though you're not, it's not a heaven and hell thing. 
He still has something in you where you're still attached to this world. Eventually, that thing's going to try to trap you and keep you from the grace and glory and mercy of God. Amen. But it says this. It says, for your part, you were not to make any covenants with the people living in this land. Instead, you were to destroy it. But you disobeyed my command. Why did you do this? You can hear God's heart. Why would you not listen to me? I did all this for you. Why didn't you listen to me? So I will declare, verse 3. This is 400 years earlier. So I will declare that I will no longer drive out the people living in your land. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a constant temptation to you. Verse 10 says, another generation grew up and they didn't acknowledge the Lord. In verse 12, they abandoned the Lord. Verse 17, they turned away from the Lord. Verse 21, he says, I'm no longer going to drive out the nations that Joshua left unconquered when he died. He, uh, he says, verse 22, I did this to test Israel to see whether or not they would follow the ways of the Lord as their ancestors did. Verse 23, that is why the Lord left those nations in place and he did not quickly drive them out or follow or allow Joshua to conquer them all. The Lord had promised it's going to happen and it's going to be quick. And now here the Lord answers why it wasn't quick. It was because they didn't do what he told them to do. So it says this, and I'm wrapping up here. It says this in, Josh, in Judges chapter 3, verse 1. It says, these are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. You know what the war is for? You know what it says? Why there's a war? War is not to make you suffer. It's not to make you go through it. It's to make something in your life that, how do you know you need to trust God unless you know you need to trust God? How would I know that I needed to trust a parachute unless they open the door and throw me out? Before that, I think I understand what a parachute is. I see there's cloth and there's strings and there's a backpack you're putting on my back. Putting that on me? Okay, and you think you understand it, but then when the door opens and they kick you out, then you really come to the reality of what it is, and I got to either trust that that thing's there and it's real and it's going to work, or it's not. So the Bible actually says that why we experience things and why, they, why he allowed them. So they shouldn't have been there at all. God wanted them to give them the promise, and that's it. But the Bible says he allows it. So it says, verse 2, to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. Did he want to teach them warfare just so that they would be good at warfare? Of course not. He wanted to teach them to what? Trust in God. Do you understand what's happening here? Is that because they doubted, God had to delay what he wanted to do, but what he allowed was he allowed the enemy. And this is so interesting because Christians, we, we get saved, and then we wonder why bad stuff's always still happening, and we could be, we could be sour and just kind of like stuck down in this place where like it's nothing good, it's always bad, I got saved, and, it's all, and, and there's always so much going on. Or we can say, this is inspiring me to trust him more. And this is even worse than it was last time, so now I have to trust him even more. And you know what happens? My faith begins to grow. And then way over here, this thing that you used to have to trust God for is not even an issue anymore. And then we come up against this thing, and it's like, well, I've trusted him so far, 
and I don't know how you're going to do it, but we say something like Joshua and Caleb did, but God, you're going to do it. So this is what it says. It says, these are the nations that were left. Verse 3, the Philistines. The Philistines. So there they are. That's where they come from. The reason Goliath is there, the reason the Philistines are there is because of doubt. It was the reason. So when David came out to trust God, you realize, and we're going to get more into this next week, he was finally doing something that they had been struggling with all those years, 400 years. Amen. Who knows what God wants to do through you? Maybe that this nation, right? We could see the nations. It seems like it's going darker. But you know what? We could look at that, or we could say, well, maybe God is trying to raise us up. Maybe he's inspiring us to stand up, right, for our roots, to stand up for what he desired for this nation. Amen. You understand that we could just look at the darkness, or we could say, maybe God wanted to deal with this thing a long, long time ago, and it's gone away that God didn't plan, but we can stand up. Amen. And so it says this. This is very interesting. It says, these, verse 4, these people were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the commands of the Lord he had given to their ancestors through Moses. So when there is an issue, it really is there to see if you'll trust his word. When you've come up against an issue, will you trust God and trust his word, or are you going to give in to the enemy who wants you just to doubt and get into the issue? So it says in Joshua 11, I promise it's the very last verse, but I, wanted, I had to finish here, because it says in Joshua 11, verse 21, it says, Joshua destroyed. So Joshua and Caleb, they go in, and they do a lot of what God says, but they don't do all of it. The Bible says that they destroyed all the descendants of Anak who lived in the hill country of Hebron, Deber, Anab, and the entire hill country of Judah and Israel. He killed them all and completely destroyed their towns. Verse 22, none of the descendants of Anak were left in the land of Israel, the translation there is basically in the land that they were living in as Israel. It was not the borders God had promised, but it was in their particular living space. But they left them on the other side of what they thought was okay. God didn't. And the Bible says, though some still remained in Gaza, Gath, everybody say Gath, and Ashdod. Who knows, where did, where did Goliath come from? I'll read it for you. 1 Samuel 17, verse 4, Goliath a Philistine champion from Gath. So you see that it all comes back around, amen? So it's two things. One, we can learn from that, that what we do now is going to affect tomorrow. Okay, yes, there's all that. And what our ancestors have done, what your generations have done, you realize there's curses that we're born with that weren't even your fault. People struggle with things. They don't even know how they got that way. And it's because something was done generations ago. Through Christ, we have to stand up. We break those things. Amen, right? We break those curses from our lineage. We stand up and we say, God, you know, this was done or that was done. It doesn't really matter. Uh, I didn't trust you the way I should have. They didn't trust you the way they should have. But today, I'm going to trust you. It doesn't matter what has happened so far. Today's the day that it's going to happen and he's coming down. Amen? We'll get more into that, but I'm excited about that. I feel like it was important to lay out the lineage, to understand where this comes from. It's not just some kid standing up and just taking down some giant, but this is a big issue, and it's doubt. Amen. We're going to trust him. Amen? Amen. I'll just bless you, and I'll just pray right now. Lord God, sink this word down into our hearts. Lord, seed it down within us as good seed and good soil, Lord, to make it grow into fruit. Give us life, Lord, and 
thank you, Jesus, that you are still God and that you are moving right now in this nation and in the world, Lord, and you are doing miracles even as we speak. We pray, Lord God, that you continue to uh, do what you're doing, Lord. We know that you're doing it already. We just trust you. But, Lord, we pray that we would experience it and understand it and even get to see it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you.